This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 13, lucky number 13 of Real Blend, a podcast that is war ready. Already. <laughs> Thank you, boys. I appreciate that. Actually, we are a podcast aimed <laughs> at Film Geeks that is hosted by Film Geeks, and it doesn't get more passionate than the three co-hosts of Real Blend. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and as always, I'm joined for Real Blend, our weekly live podcast here on the Cinema Blend Network, by my co-host, starting with Kevin McCarthy, who is the entertainment reporter at Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kevin. Sean, I just want to let you know that I am officially war ready. Today. Thank you. I am, I am officially war ready. I don't know about Jake. I know Gabe, our producer, is war eh. ready, ready, but Always. I think Jake, Jake, Jake's kind of like in mid, eh. in mid ready. He's he's kind of like he's like pre war ready. Why don't we cut the the first one when it was directed by the guy who just won Best Director, so I have a feeling I'm not going to like this one. Jake Hamilton is entertainment reporter for Fox uh, 32 in Chicago. Jake is, uh, we should tell everybody who's happened to be watching this show live, he's three hours away from seeing Ready Player One. Yes! And is tingling with geeky excitement. So if you are tuning in to us for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes and all episodes to come on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, and just about everywhere that podcasts are served. So um, go back and find some of our old episodes. But like I and said, Jake, number 13. Jake, by the way, uh, legally changed his middle name to Cheese Pizza last week. So after we got off the air, his middle name is now Jake Cheese Pizza Hamilton. And I and stand for, by it. You know, I have more flavor. <laughs> I'd like to think I have more flavor. For people who don't know what we're talking about, last week we were, t- we were talking about Star Wars and Han Solo and... Jake was essentially saying that John Favreau is the cheese pizza of directors. No, they're talking so, about yeah, well, yeah, they're talking about the TV yeah, that's show. That's what you that. said, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah said. no, no, I stand by it. I, 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 I like have, Favreau. Um, you know, even even Ron Howard has more flavor as a director than John Favreau does. See, this is mm. this is getting a little bit out of hand. I, I'm, I feel I'm offended for Favreau and well, what, I'm what surprised. What about Howard. Howard blend? Yeah, soon, Howard very blend. soon. All right, so for people who don't know the show and might not understand what that reference is, we also like to play a fun game, and that will be in the second half of the podcast where we pick a filmmaker who we love, put the hashtag, um, their last name, and blend, and then we debate about who their best, what their best film is, and this week's episode is Scorsese Blend, so we're going to get to debate the best films of Marty Scorsese, but... Sean, Before we get to that, yes, Kevin. Can we recap what we gave real quick, just so people, like, in case people are tuning in for the first time and they're finding great our podcast? Idea. That's a great so, idea because actually, someone on Twitter was saying, "Oh, you guys should do Spielberg," and then they said, "You guys should do Nolan," and no. we did. We did. We started this experiment with Christopher Nolan, where Kevin said his favorite film. I forgot was we did Nolan. That feels so long ago. Jake yeah. said his favorite film was Dark Knight. Not Night favorite, Rises. best. Wait, best, best or favorite? Right, best. We best, did best best, best yeah. Nolan movie. I we went always... Interstellar. Jake went Dark Knight. And then Sean went Prestige. Prestige, right. Okay. Then we did Spielberg. And Kevin went Jaws. Right. Jaws! Jake, Jake went Jaws. Jake also went Jaws. Yes, I did. And I went E.T. And then Scorsese. Is Scorsese our third one? No, 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 no we, we did, did Kubrick. Kubrick. We Kubrick did Kubrick. Blend. And Jake and I both went 2001 and Kevin went The Shining. 
And so. don't forget, don't forget uh, Paul Thomas Anderson blend. Oh my gosh! Oh I'm my god! That. We've done a lot of these episodes. We've done yeah. a lot of these. That's exciting. Uh, and what did, I think I did boogie nights. I think we all, all did boogie three nights. of us did boogie yeah. nights. We all did boogie nights. Yeah. yeah. So, so we've normally it, been two, two, and yeah. one. Yeah. And today, by the way, I'll give a little tease since we're all here. Uh, none of us know each other's best Scorsese choice, but we were just told by Gabe, our producer, that all three of us picked three different movies. So um, I think when we get to that point of the show today, I'm I'm hoping that we can kind of predict each other's choices if we can do that. It's kind of fun. We're going to guess. I have no idea what Jake chose. I think I think I have an idea of what Sean chose, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah, I think I know I think I know what I am so predictable. I'm so uh, I guess I can be read at this point. So, we're going to get to that. Before we get to that point, let's kick off with some of the biggest news stories that we like to normally start the podcast. I we have to talk about so there was an Avengers Infinity War trailer which I'm sure everybody's seen at this point. But I want to get to these predictions for the opening weekend of what yeah. Infinity War might be. We've had a conversation on the podcast about whether Black Panther might outgross Infinity War. I started to, to slide over to that side that said that Black Panther will outgross Infinity War, that, that Infinity War won't catch up to it. And now I'm changing my mind because this thing yeah. shattered Fandango's yeah. ticket records. Six hours. In- yeah, in six hours. And then, Kevin, I think you heard, what was the number you heard, 245 million? I don't, I mean, that was just a number that came across my Twitter timeline. I have no idea if that's actually a legitimate prediction. But I will say, last week prior to the trailer coming out, I was 100% on the side of Black Panther is going to have the biggest opening. Infinity War won't touch it. And my, and my... My specific reasoning behind that was, look at the opening for Captain America Civil War. They had $179 million opening weekend. That had everybody in it. But I'm telling you right now, that trailer, when that thing hit, and then, and then the records that it broke, also the 100 and whatever, 79 million views in 24 hours, plus the Wakanda element of the storyline as well. I think I, I am 100% flipping my side now. I'm John carrying here. Uh, and I think that it's definitely going to be, I think, I think it's going to blow Black Panther out of the water uh, in three days. It okay, has so, to. But in order to do that, doesn't it theoretically have to be on every screen in almost every theater? But I Disney mean, yeah. does that now. That with with the Last Jedi, they enter into these deals with theaters where they say, "I'm we're not going to give you the right to play our movie unless there are it's on eighty percent of your screens and it stays on eighty percent of your screens for four weeks and then we no, it's on a certain number of screens. They get eighty percent of the profits and that they stay on those screens for at least four weeks before you start backing it off. They started four doing weeks. that with the Last Jedi and a lot of mom and pop theaters sort of were crying out saying, we, you can't do that because we can't afford to keep a movie on, on a majority of our screens for four weeks. So we have to have the turnaround. Um, Did, but because they're Disney, they have the right to do that. And I would uh, fully imagine that they're going to do that for Infinity War. I don't know why this just came to my mind. This is totally random ADD thought. But uh, I remember when I went to, this is back when all the movie theaters used to have film projectors. Um, when Revenge of the Sith came out, I remember going to a movie theater and every screen the night that movie came out was Revenge of the Sith. But when hmm. they only had like six or seven prints of the movie, so they had to interloop it to each projector. What? Uh, there were like two, there were 22 screens. It was an AMC Hoffman in Alexandria, Virginia. And I believe, I don't quote me on the number of prints, I think it was like five or six, but they would interloop it and like three or four projectors would keep on the same movie. It's like So insane. did they have to keep like, were they like moving for one real to it another would jump projector, across. yeah. So basically, like it would like the movie. Let's say projector one's right here. Yeah, you would have the movie playing, and then as it was as it was being thread through the projector as you were watching it, it would then, it would then be moved. 
it would it would all like be moved to the other projector. And Dude, that gives me anxiety that. just hearing I know. that. That's oh my crazy god! How they, that's how they used to do the. Wow. Now everything's on a hard drive, so it's like completely different. But yeah, going back to the Avengers thing, I there's no doubt in my mind now that that movie's gonna have the number one. It's gonna be the number one opening ever, right? In three days. It, what's the What's the record right now? I have no it's, clue. It's what still the record is. it's still Force Awakens. Oh, is it, that was okay. that two? Was that two forty something? What was the? What was the? What's the Force Awakens three day? Someone if only we up. had small handheld devices that could. Yeah, I that that I'm, is the highest. I mean, I'll while you're looking that up, I just I know that that people were sharing photos of the ArcLight Cinema in Los Angeles when Black Panther opened, and their, yeah. their ticket board was was okay. just Black Panther. Yeah. You know, every every theater, every time. But the thing is, like. When no, we no, so no. I got Fandango tickets for opening weekend. I I'm assuming there's going to be a press screening. I hope I'll get to see it in advance. But like for opening weekend, my wife and kids were both like, "Yeah, we got to go see that opening weekend." It's starting to feel like that event type picture that's going to drive people to theaters on opening weekend. But also, 248. That's going to be tough to beat 248. Oh, 248 was yeah. uh, Force Awakens. See, Force that's, Awakens. The, that's the question. So prior now, so Avengers one did what 207, and then we figured out the other day that uh, Avengers two was either short or a little bit higher. I think it was shorter than that. But right. yeah, but I also mean, Avengers that, two just didn't have the buzz. Like it wasn't right. the event that both Avengers and Infinity War feel like. Also, the trailer was amazing. Yeah. So it's like one of those things where when that trailer hit, it shook cinematic world. I mean, I was in L.A. Uh, covering Ready Player One, I think the day that that hit, and I was like, and it was like, it just blew up. Everyone was like, it, it was everyone was getting excited again. Because to me, like you know, the thing I love about movies nowadays is that we, when we get that event picture, when Panther was in theaters, it was like I felt like, it felt like a great moment in the world. You know what I mean? Like it was like everybody was. Like talking about cinema. Cinema was everywhere. Black Panther was everywhere. It was like the most tweeted about movie of all time. 35 million tweets. Yeah, I saw Uber, that. Literally the most tweeted Twitter. about movie of all time. Ever. So to me, I think Avengers is going to have that, but also the, the success of Black Panther. Someone said this the other day. I don't know if it was one of you guys in, uh, that everybody who saw Black Panther that wasn't necessarily a Marvel fan because that movie was such a standalone movie. It, it, was, it, it worked by itself. You didn't need to see the other Marvel films. So everybody who wants to see continuation of Shuri, Denai Guerrero's character, uh, Black Panther, seeing them in Wakanda fighting with Captain America, whatever they're doing, it's going to be awesome. Well, also, I mean, it's what, almost what, like we're getting a Black Panther sequel right, three months already. after Black yeah. Panther comes out. Yeah. Also, what that trailer did for the casual fan who hasn't been paying that close attention to the fact that all these team-ups are happening, that trailer leaned into... Iron Man and Star Lord together. Yes. Um, yeah. Spider Man with Doctor Strange yeah. and the Hulk, and and I think casual fans are just like, oh my god, wait a yeah. second, everyone's in this, and they're this all. This is hanging not out like just this. a normal superhero movie. This is a yeah. big deal. Yeah, this is a yeah. big deal. All right. So uh, earlier this week, uh, we were uh, doing a text chain, the normal text chain that we do between shows, where we talk about all the things that are interesting to us, and I was sharing the fact that Cinema Blend, not me. <laughs> But Cinema Blend was able to go to Ireland oh, on, the, <laughs> on the on the trip of a boy. lifetime. I know. Um, we went to so we we sent Eric Eisenberg, uh, one of our intrepid reporters, to Dublin, Ireland, where um, this was part of the Last Jedi uh, DVD release, the Blu-ray release, and Disney put together this trip. That was um, you arrive in Dublin on St. Patrick's Day and you interview Mark Hamill, 
who was um, taking part in the parade through Dublin. And then wow. from there, you get on a bus and you tour all of these locations where they shot Last Jedi, where Ryan Johnson shot Last Jedi. And it culminated with a trip, a boat trip to Skellig Michael, which is the, the Rocky Island, for people who might not know, the Rocky Island where Luke Skywalker's character was, uh, was stationed for the majority of Last Jedi. And uh, it got us talking about physical locations um, from films that we love that the three of us would uh, would love to get a chance to go to. And then in the text chain, we started sharing like places that we were able to go. And I was pretty stunned at the number of places that, we, that we've been to ourselves. I know both of you guys have done Hawaii, where I know yeah. Jurassic Park and a few other films were shot. What else guys did you see when you were there? Oh, you did the Lost Tour. I did Tell the Lost Tour. Well, I'm obsessed with Lost. So, and whenever... Uh... Uh, I'd done it. It had been wrapped up by that point, but there were still quite a few things there. Um, Lost was a big part of sort of my coming into my obsession with pop culture. Lost was my, will and always will be my favorite TV show of all time just because it became, you know, it it was right before Netflix broke out this binge worthy thing. So it was still this event to watch it week for week and get together with your friends afterwards and chat about the signs and what it meant. And, and, and Entertainment Weekly used to have this amazing writer named Doc Jensen who used to write these incredibly in-depth recaps about what, like, the, the trees were pointing north. And in, in 1800, there was this book about trees pointing north. And we used to just pick it apart. And, of course, it all ended up being crap. And none of it ended up meaning anything. But it was just uh, – anyway, so going back to it, it was cool to sort of do that. Also, Jurassic Park is my favorite Spielberg movie of all time. Kevin, I know you got to do that tour – uh, as well, I think we we did it yeah. different junkets because I don't think you and I ever did a Hawaii junket together. But no, uh, they set up no. the you know. But we did uh, we got to do uh, Rio together, you and I. Yeah, we did Rio together. But yeah, Jurassic Park. I mean, we we uh, my uh, my wife and I. Um, ever since we've been together, we we specifically seek out filming locations everywhere we go, no matter what city or country we're in. Um, but yeah, the Jurassic Park one that Jake mentioned, we, we I remember we we did a picture side by side. We sat under that log that Sam Neill and the kids are under as the dinosaurs are jumping over. Um, I, I just rewatched Jurassic Park uh, this weekend. I just dude, I'm me just, too. I'm, I'm just so amazed. It, it, it really truly blows my mind. Oh. That the effects in that movie look better than Jurassic World, and I'm like, how is that Without possible? Question. Because he only used effects if he had to. They built right. those beautiful, those beautiful uh, T Rex heads, yeah. and he was smart enough to obviously put that scene in the rain. Obviously, it adds drama to put it in the rain, but yeah. it just it obviously kind of hides whatever problems with it they needed to hide. I mean, that that rain sequence is just absolutely astounding i mean it's it's um it's absolutely unbelievable i'm with you 100%. okay hold on i have to butt in because some of our viewers who are playing along uh kevin nien nien i might be mispronouncing that uh chimes in and says that he went to kevin are you ready for this monrovia high school where not another teen movie was filmed. Ah, yes I, I was just there i was literally just there my my wife and that's kevin you did shot. not make a mistakey <laughs> I know. By the way, for people who are just tuning in, I I love not another team movie. I think it's uh, I think it's a brilliant script, and I'll I'll stand by it. And I have no problem saying that. Uh, I'm sure I'll lose all credibility, but I think that movie's amazing. Brilliant script? That's the word we're going to use? Listen, here's the thing. That movie gets put into a category of spoof, so therefore the word spoof ends up not being able to be allowed to be a good movie. So those, to me, it's unfair to the comedy genre that films like that can't be considered to be great because they're because of what they are. Um, that's a whole other argument. Uh, I think that script is amazing. Um, but, yeah, I went to that same school location. That's also where She's All That was filmed and Buffy that, the Vampire Slayer. I was going to say Buffy. That's the Buffy school. 
school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like yeah. my my wife and I, when we first started dating. We would go. We would. We went everywhere. We went to the uh, when Harry met Sally, where they have the with a scene where she's she's faking the um yeah the uh, what? that yeah. scene. I'm What's not that? gonna say it. <laughs> she's done. She's doing the screaming element, and and, and then it wasn't Reiner's mom sitting there for the scene. She's the one who says she's the one who says I'll have what she's having. Yeah. Yeah. Is that was yeah. that uh? Did you say that that's Katz's Deli? Katz's Deli. Yeah, I've the been best, there. One of the best that's locations I ever went to, though, to me, and they closed it down. Was the restaurant where they filmed the De Niro Pacino heat scene? Yes. Um, and I sat at that. T- <laughs> I sat at that table. I mean, that's one of the greatest <laughs> scenes in the history of cinema. Um, yep. And just to like be at that. I can't remember the name of the restaurant off the top of my head. It was in Beverly Hills. Uh, and it was just awesome. But yeah, I mean, I've been to the Inception Bridge. We, we, we've gone. And talking everywhere. about favorite TV shows, you did the, um, you did the New oh, Mexico yeah. tour of Breaking Bad. Yeah, and I will say, I regret. So Jake, Jake actually was on the Breaking Bad train way before I was, and he actually told me to get into it. And I was like, ah, because TV shows at the time, I, it was also one of those things. I was working two jobs. I had no time to like sit down and actually watch TV every week, and I wanted to. And Breaking Bad was is one that I wish I could have done like Jake just said about Lost. I wish I could have watched it every week and had that anticipation and broke things down. You know, what's going to happen with the Gus story? I mean, Was I, it I, over I, by the time you started it? I, I watched the first episode of Breaking Bad the night the finale aired. Really? Yeah. I did not I know think that's that. what wow. it was. I think it's what it was. I'll, I'll have to check with Lauren. We watched it in 2012, or no, sorry, 2013 or 14 is when we started it. But I will say, yeah, we rented a car in Albuquerque and we just drove all around. Tell you a funny story about that. I was I went I was interviewing the cast of Black Panther recently, and Daniel Kaluuya. I, I sat down and I had a Breaking Bad tie bar pin on, and Daniel looks at that and he goes, "Oh my God, I've done the Breaking Bad tour." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He rented a car. The guy from Get Out rented a car and drove around to every. He said he bought the fake candy blue meth. There's a there's a, a rock candy uh, seller in Albuquerque who makes the blue candy looks like of the mess from the show um but yeah it, it that that to me was my favorite location scouting we did the car wash i met the people who live in the house where they filmed the exteriors for walter white's house they, they have hate cam- it now don't they oh dude they have a whole camera set up because people were going by and putting pizzas on pizzas, the roof yeah like walter did so they had to like put actual security cameras they sit out there I actually had a great conversation with them because it is kind of annoying now that people just go by their house all the time. But yep. it is, I would just move out. I mean, come on. That house is going to be iconic forever. So. I Sean, I what's your so, favorite? Um, well, I have one that I still haven't been to, and I'm kind of stunned that I haven't made it to it, and that's Nakatomi Plaza. I mean, I know that the Ooh. the building that they use in Los Angeles that's a stand-in for Nakatomi, that the, the first that the first Die Hard is my favorite movie of all time, whenever people it's reference like, I knew that. With a vengeance. Oh, yeah. No, 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 hold on. Wait a second. Wait, that, is a, that is a podcast for another time. Yeah. Um, you know what? The, the hardest part is just that, like, trying to come up with ideas for this topic. It was like there's so many, like, people don't location shoot anymore. It's so hard to to do it um, that, like, it's it's all sets on on. It's not. It's not even backlots. It's like. Yeah. You know, it's all green screen stuff because I know I took the Universal Studios tour one time for a junket we were on years ago, and you got to oh, see yeah, the, um, house the Back from to the Future, Psycho. yeah, and the Back to the Future Square, you know, where the clock tower was, and they, they preserved a lot of that stuff. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I wish that this stuff was out in public, but you can't 
do it. You're just not able to do it anymore. So, dude, a, a good one to visit, by the way, is in New York. You can actually go to the exterior of Ghostbusters um, uh, firehouse. Oh, I just nice. rewatched uh, Ghostbusters the other that, day. That's in Brooklyn, I believe. I, I, I visit. It's actually. It looks exactly like it. Um, just it's the exterior, of course. A lot of these things are exterior shots. Yeah. A lot of them Wait, are exterior. Who has done the Lord of the Rings tour in New Zealand? I Kevin did that. Did. Kevin did that, and that was good. Yeah, don't tell my wife, but I, I I specifically wanted to go there for our honeymoon so I could go so I could go to New Zealand and visit the uh, and visit Hobbiton. No, but seriously, it was it was the most glorious thing ever. You were like you, it's literally real. I mean, it's not like it's 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 physically there. They have actual Hobbit holes. They're built on these beautiful green hills. It is. One of the most incredibly gorgeous things I've ever seen. And Kevin, uh, be, yeah. be honest, you did you did not go there for your honeymoon. You no. went there, and it just so happened to also be your honeymoon. No. Yeah. So what ended up? The, the, the honest truth is, I've always <laughs> want, I've always wanted to go to New Zealand and Australia. My wife actually wanted to do more of a like beachy resort type thing. So we we compromise. I only wanted to go to that part of New Zealand. You can go to two parts of New Zealand, north and south. Uh, I went to that part because I wanted to go to Hobbiton. We could have gone to the south, but I went I went to the north just so I could go to Hobbiton. That was the whole right. point of that. Well, I, and talking about places I'd like to go really quick before we move on, not that far from Chicago, so it's kind of annoying that I haven't gone yet. Um, I'd like to do the Field of Dreams house. It's, uh, Where it's is that? In, it's in Dyersville, Iowa. Um, it's probably about a six-hour drive from here, and they just announced this week that actually you can sleep there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would love to. I mean, Field of Dreams is like one of those, like like, you know, touches the heart movies for me uh grew up with it and mm-hmm. uh, yeah i would just feel like it would be like a really emotionally cathartic experience throwing a ball uh out cool. on that field jake awesome. when you got your job in chicago this is a cool story i don't know if you could tell it real quick um you actually had to go out and shoot some things like tell, tell this is a cool story about yeah, well, it, it I, involves I, the dark night whenever i was being interviewed uh the one of the the pitches that uh that sort of i was i was kind of pitching myself with was that i was self-sufficient and could do stories on my own and so the guy that was interviewing me said, okay, like you've got a phone, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, you can edit stuff on that phone, right? And I said, yeah. He said, you've got 90 minutes to shoot a story and bring it back to me. And, oh, wow. And, like, yeah. and looked at his cl- and I sort of was stumbling. And he goes, it's less, <laughs> less than not, like 80, uh, 89 minutes, 50 wow. seconds. So I instantly Googled uh, famous places in Chicago where they shot movies, ran around, took a cap to every single, you know, as many as I could, about 10 of them, shot footage on my phone. Uh, wrote a script on a on uh, a napkin and tracked it into my phone, edited it together on my phone, and and had it you know sprinting back and shot a lot of stuff uh, you know just in downtown Chicago. It's where a lot of scenes where they Ferris shot the Bueller. Dark Knight, Ferris Bueller, Untouchables, uh, Untouchables, Road to Perdition. Uh, so many so many films. I mean, it was incredibly easy. I mean, I'm literally nice. I kid you not. I don't want to give too much away about where I live, but I'm literally looking out my window right now at a place where they shot The Dark Knight. Um, so Jake, I, where's I, the str- where's the street in The Dark Knight where they flip the truck eighteen wheeler? Where's that? Uh, that, that that's like is- sort of like the what it was considered like the the the, the financial building. So that's that's. Uh, the lower whacker, isn't there? That lower, lower, lower yeah, lower, lower whacker is where the the chase sequence takes takes place. God, um, that blew my mind. Yeah. I remember like Nolan had like that whole scene is practical. Nolan had like yeah. a a catapult underneath. They have built a hole. They they lifted this truck in the air, and everything else was real. Like it's yeah. unbelievable how they did that scene. And you you talk to like the news crews here in Chicago, and they'll they'll tell you about. 
the the summer that they shot Batman here and how like I mean you could kind of just go see we have um in our newsroom in our archives we have just generic footage of all of those shots being shot like they really? they got to yeah they got to go to the set of when they when they blew up the hospital like all that stuff we have just raw footage of it's fantastic and that hospital they really blew up the only thing mm-hmm. they add they added some like CG explosions in the windows where is yeah. that ho- what is that hospital now I think it was Did like re- it was an abandoned hospital so okay. I don't think it was it was too difficult for them to um but yeah we've got we've got raw footage of just about everything. That's right, crazy. We, we can't go too deep into this next topic um, because the rest of everybody has to like everybody, including two co-hosts on this podcast, can't talk in depth about it. But Kevin's already player one, and I just want to um, let ready him discuss briefly because Jake <laughs> is a few hours from one. seeing it. <laughs> two and a half hours away from seeing it, baby. Kevin, keep it very brief. But you have said and you put it in free. your top ten Spielberg. So far, yeah. right? Yeah, for, it, it was an incredible. It was an incredible experience, and the the thing about Ready Player One that's beautiful is that there's like this balance where simultaneously you're like blown away by the references, but they never overstep the boundary into taking away from the story. There's a great story. I mean, I, I I love the whole concept of the movie, the message of the movie, the idea of taking this leap. Um, it's an interesting story it's a hard sell I, I i get that when you watch the trailer it's kind of hard to kind of take all in um but they do a really good job of opening the film explaining what it is but never over explaining it they never dumb it down um it is first of all the technology that spielberg used for this movie the vr capabilities they were doing he was able to put on vr goggles and look into the digital sets and block his actors it's sick Wait, let me ask a off. question. His job question. has changed so much since he made Jaws. Yeah. It's insane. Well, because of that, yeah. like, it, w- without really saying this, like, is, is there a movie that he's done that you can almost say that this is in line with? Because I'm afraid that, like, like Tintin is so CGI and tech yeah. heavy. Does is it, does it feel like that? Or does no. it have a an adventurous tone like a Raiders or a Jurassic? See, it's it's interesting. I would actually because there were there were elements in Tintin that had a Raiders element to them, just the way the action was designed. Um, the beauty of Ready Player One is that is that you do have that human aspect to it once you get into the real world. Uh, mm. And I don't know the exact time frames of how he did this, but I know the real world stuff was shot on film, and then he did some digital stuff with the Oasis. But it is like the the transitions between the real world and the Oasis are kind of what keep the film on this grounded element of reality, uh, and it is. I'm telling you right now, I, I can't wait for you guys to see it. I can't wait to talk about it. I hope you guys love it um, because I, I'm just obsessed with it. I've seen it twice. I'm going for a third time next week. Um, and it just, Alan Silvestri's score. I mean, Spielberg said this in my interview with him. You don't get scores like this anymore. Like This right. is like a classic, like like he said in the interview, that's a bad guy theme. Like there's always like it's, it's almost like like you're watching a classic film that you grew up watching, but then you have this updated technology. Performance wise, Ben Mendelsohn, that guy just always blows my mind. Right. Um, I also, dude, you need Mark to see Rock. Bloodline. If you love Ben Mendelsohn, you gotta see Bloodline. I Bloodline, well, well just first the first two seasons. seasons yeah, I'd, I'd argue two. even just the first season. Yeah, I, that's the third season's awful. Oh, it's awful. I'm also a huge Mark Rylance fan, and I think because I, but I also loved him in Dunkirk. from BFG. Yeah, yeah but, of course. But, but no, but Bridge of Spies, he's amazing in, and I, I still think Stallone deserved the Academy Award, but that's a whole other situation. But okay, let me um, ask you something about Mark Rylance. Um, whenever Spielberg was in early stages of making this movie, he went after Gene Wilder. Obviously, Gene Wilder hadn't passed yet. Uh, How great right. would that role have been if it had Ooh. been Gene Wilder? Uh, that would have been, been amazing. 
I actually wish I could have asked him that question. Um, you could have. I could have asked it, but I, I honestly <laughs> now for people who don't know how junkets work, it, it, he was paired with Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook, so it was a very. I had to like kind of map it out. It was, that was a tough interview. That's what, it's um, tough, and also for people that don't do interviews, and 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 this is such like a niche thing that we can all say like, oh, we understand this. It is tough when you have an amazing director in a room paired with, with actors because you actors. ask them two yeah. different types of questions, yeah. but you get yeah. the same amount of time. So it's tough yeah. to ask a question, you know, and also like not to knock the the two lead actors in this film, but when you get in a room with Spielberg, you want to get Spielberg talking. And unfortunately, you know, I've been, you know, I think we've all been in situations before where we've had an amazing director paired with, you know, even a great actor. But when one of them, the person that you don't want as much as talking in your head, all you're thinking is stop talking so the oh other person God. could start talking. Yeah, I, I, I remember like sitting there and, and I love so Olivia true. Cook and, and she's answering her question. And I'm, and I'm like, I know my time is running out. And Spielberg's yeah. like sitting right in front of me. I had my Jaws shoes on. I was like yeah. in a total like nerd out session but yeah but anyways but i know we'll talk about it next week but the movie is amazing I, i'm excited for people to see it i i hope jake text me when you get out of it yeah. i uh it's it's, I, it's not short right isn't it almost 230 it's 220 like, um and i'm telling you right now and and i know people have been like ruining certain things but there are there are so many surprises just stay away from the reviews um the the yeah the second act i think people are just gonna be really blown away by what happens there um yeah i can tell you honestly i I had something ruined for me just because i was reading a review by a big publication so i honestly thought it would be safe because i thought well a major publication isn't going to spoil something and apparently it was something that kevin says in the press conference someone started to mention and spielberg cut out cut off that person yeah our buddy our buddy eric um from uh, fandango hosts the press conference i remember reading a transcript that came out like someone had posted a partial element of the transcript or somebody brought up a spoiler to spielberg and he like literally shut it down he wouldn't answer the question um and you know and and to me it's something that i would be interested in in knowing but it was almost it was too early (laughs) to talk about it um but yeah but ready player one's amazing uh i'm excited to see it one other thing i will say before we move on the beauty of Ready Player One and Jake, when you see it tonight, is how clean the action is. Um, every single bit of the action is visible. Um, it, there's not like it's not quick cut. It's not like trying to trick you. Um, and a lot, again, a lot of it is VFX and visual effects, but it looks okay. unbelievable. I mean, there is something to be said about watching, as Jake, you tweeted this too, about watching a T-Rex from Jurassic Park chase a DeLorean. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Dude, greatest thing really... I've ever seen in my life. It's awesome. Okay, well, I was just going to say one last question before – before, and I think one of the things – you know, we were just talking about how timeless something like Jurassic Park is because of his lack of special effects. How well yeah. will this movie age? It's an interesting question, uh, and, and it is very strange to think about that because it is so CG heavy. But in my mind, when you're watching the movie, you know you're looking at virtual reality. So, like, your brain... It's your part of brain, the plot. Okay, that makes right. sense. Right. Your brain's in virtual reality. So everything is... I mean, everything's a bit exaggerated. Olivia Cook's eyes are, like, this big. You know, it's like, you know, when you're watching the movie, you're, nev- you're never in your mind going, that's real life. So you know it's a, it's a video game It's a similar aspect. to watching... If you were to watch the original Tron today, you're like, well, that's a video game in the 80s. So, like, that's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah. It's interesting. You'll, you'll see what I mean. When you see the movie, you'll see what I mean. You, there's never a mindset where I was like, okay, that looks too fake because you know you're in virtual reality. Like, like okay. every, but there are like there's some really cool stuff. Like when they go into like the archives of Halliday's mind and like how what he left behind. Like when they go into these real like with Simon Pegg, the, there's some really cool like really cool visuals how they pull that off. But the, 
Jake, when you see the chase scene in the beginning, that like that whole like race scene, which you see in the trailer, wait till you see what they do with the sound design. Um, the sound design's nuts. And I'm seeing it in a true IMAX theater. So Okay, yeah, Brian, who's crazy. watching us. Um, hey, Brian, thank you very much for submitting a question. He's going to ask this, and then we're going to transition on. Um, how many times, Kevin, do you think that we actually need to see the movie to catch all of the Easter eggs? Ooh, oh, good there, question. There, I don't. I don't even think Spielberg knows every <laughs> reference in the movie. I don't think anybody. I don't. No, I'm being serious. I think that what I'm and I'm and I say that yeah. like in a good way because there are so much in this movie. And I'm sure Spielberg, obviously, he had to. I mean, I was joking. He had he had to check off everyone that was in the movie. He's the director. But I was talking to one of the actors uh, after I left my interview about my fa- my favorite reference in the whole movie, which I'm not going to say what it is. But I told the reference to Ben Mendelsohn, and he goes, oh, that's what that that's was? Funny. I had no idea. And I remember talking to that's the actor. Funny. I remember talking to the actor who actually performed this particular reference, and at the time of shooting it, they didn't even know what? that that's what they were doing. So, because the wow. character... Because, because what I mean... Because the character... Let's do it next like, week. Let's do it next week. You don't need... Let's do it yeah, next week. Yeah, this is tough to... We're going to review... We're going to review... Ready yeah. <laughs> Uh, next Thursday, but even at that, it's we're amazing. not going to do spoilers. We'll save spoilers for another conversation. But at least next week, all of us will have seen it. And oh, Sean, I'm going to text you so many fine. spoilers tonight. It's part, it's part of this job. So, Jake, Jake, I'm I'm curious if you pick up on one the first time. Um, there's one. Just pay attention. Stop. Stop. Well, stop, I mean, I'm stop, not very smart. Stop, so yeah, just stop. All three <laughs> of us are giving you anything. the the stop. Uh, it's t- terrible. Okay, this week, since you have to wait a week to see Ready Player One, this week instead you can go see Pacific Rim Two. And I was going to use something that you said earlier have all three of us seen it have, did, did i haven't but feel free to it's spoil not spoiling it. I'm anything i'm I, saying I, to I'm, people should go see i know but but i'm saying like you're you're cool you can spoil like, it that's fine i actually enjoyed it i had a lot of fun with it and one of the did things like the one of the reasons one? why i enjoyed it yes i did like the first one a lot it's really funny the first one i i can't take the first one um outside of this context it's my oldest son's favorite movie like the the first Pacific Rim to him is what Star Wars is to us because the first time he saw it, I mean, dude, he was okay. So it's two two years ago, so he was like eleven or twelve. Yeah. So it's which is like I feel like if I saw Pacific Rim when I was eleven or twelve, it would also that's be my exactly favorite. it. It's a it's a it's an yeah. IMAX size movie about you know robots punching creatures that come from down below, and so. Any road trip that we go on or went on for the past two years, like it's playing on a DVD in the back. And I just know all the dialogue from it and every noise from it because <laughs> I just hear him listening to it. So did he go? He with went you last, last night? night and he loved it. He actually thought that the trailers Fantastic. leading up to it looked a little bit cartoonish. He was like, I don't think this is going to be as good. But I thought the story. Why is he not on this he podcast? He should probably be on this podcast. Yeah. Is, it, is, this, PJ, is this PJ? Yeah, PJ. Where is He's PJ? back home. I'm actually in St. Louis. So we should have pulled him in. Um, but I just thought, like, Kevin, what you said about Spielberg, the way he directed his action. This is Stephen DeKnight, who took over for Guillermo del Toro. And I just was really impressed with the way he handled the scope of his action. The action sequences. He does something in yeah. the middle of all of these big battles. And so there's, this, there's these massive confrontations between these these uh, Jaegers, the the skyscraper robots, and the kaiju, and how and there's just city devastation. But he c- constantly cuts down to like the street level and shows you like a, a mm. foot smashing a, a car and and people scurrying. So you're always reminded of just like 
how this is still taking place in the real world, how it's affecting the stuff that's going on around it. And and that kept, to me, it kept it grounded in a place where the movie is right. so comically, you know, ridiculously exaggerated. But it always felt like, oh, that's right. There is still a world that's being affected by all this. And that really helped me dial into it. I, I, I totally enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's interesting to me because it's funny. I would say Pacific Rim One is a better mm. film than the sequel, but I will say the sequel to me was the was the was the one was the only one of the two that actually, in my opinion, kind of gave that scope to how mm. big these battles were. Um, I, I didn't feel when I watched Pacific Rim One like how gigantic everything was. It didn't it didn't ever equate to me. Also, if I remember correctly, wasn't everything in Pacific Rim One yes. like, at nighttime? Wasn't yep. it like, oh, yeah. very dark? Um, so like, and I remember. So this one to me, I actually felt more of the scope, and uh, I found this movie. It, it's a very to me, the script isn't great, but the the action scenes. There's so many of them, and they're yeah. so awesome that I found myself just kind of like, all right, this is kind of mindless fun, and it, it's weird because sometimes our minds will allow that. Sometimes like you'll be in a mindset where you just want to sit back and just take in some action and have fun with it. I particularly don't think. Scott Eastwood's a great actor by, you know, but Boyega's great at it. Um, Charlie Day. I, 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 there's some things I didn't like about the film, but overall, I found myself just kind of having fun with it. Uh, I think the first one's still better, but this one to me has better action. Um, so I feel like if they combine the storytelling of the first one with tonight's direction, it would have been like the Do you want to know the one reason why? I, I don't know if I necessarily prefer this one more, but one thing I liked more about this, they swapped Charlie Hunnam for John Boyega. And Boyega, as much as I yeah. like Boyega in everything he's been in, I like him in Attack the Block, and he's really good in the Star Wars movies. This is his movie where he is like, I'm a charismatic leading man who can carry a movie, and he was outstanding in this movie. Yeah. And he produced it, too, which is a straight... I was, like, surprised to read that he produced the movie. Young guy. Um, and, I mean, clearly he knows what he's doing, but I was actually surprised to see him on there. I know Del Toro yeah. still produced it. Apparently he signed off on kind of the idea behind the film. Um, but I will say, you know, the cool thing about the movie is it takes place 10 years later. So when they shot the original Pacific Rim, I remember Charlie Hunnam and Idris Elba talking about the filmmaking behind it. And that when they were in the Jaegers, they had, they were on these ellipticals that essentially kind of kept them running as that, that was the way that they made it look like they were operating the Jaeger. And now in this one, the technology is kind of upgraded. So now like John Boyega is right. running on a treadmill. It's like a, it's like a green, a blue treadmill. It's kind of cool how they, like those scenes are really, really well done. Specifically the Arctic battle with, um, yeah. the two yeah. Jaegers that are fighting. That scene yep. is awesome. Like there's some really cool action. I don't think I'll. I don't think it's a movie I'll look back on. Man, no, but let me ask you. You recommend movie, it? But it was. You recommend it? Was it? Fun. Yeah, I recommend. I recommend seeing it on the on a big screen. Like to me, it was it was worth the theater experience. But like, see, this is where it gets interesting. You look at something like Ready Player One, which, in my opinion, has the same or better, in my opinion, visual gravitas as Pacific Rim. But then right. you also have a great story, and you have great performances, and you have great so. Ready Player One gave me everything Pacific Rim gave me and more. Um, so it's almost like, yeah, they're not, they're, it's hard wow. to compare the two, Some but they're of us both haven't massive seen Ready visual yet, feasts. Kevin. We have to just talk about I, I, all I'm, <laughs> The only point, the only reason I was making that point was because like, there are, like Pacific Rim is like a movie that I recommend seeing on the big screen, but it's kind of, it's not a great well, film by any means. The conversation that fun. we stemmed uh, after talking about Pacific Rim was sequels that change directors. Um, that that It's not the, the person who launched the franchise, but uh, another filmmaker who stepped into someone else's sandbox 
and created a better sequel. And that got some really interesting suggestions from all three of us. Uh, Jake, you go first, because I'm sure yours is the selection that all three of us would have chosen uh, if we had to pick probably one of the best sequels. That yeah. was... Uh, I, I sort of was a jerk and I jumped in first <laughs> as soon as this question was uh, proposed, no, great. which I feel bad because I didn't really think about the fact that we're all going to have to choose different ones. Um, but I chose the easy answer, which I think is Empire. Um, Empire of the Sun? Strikes Back, of course, following... Yeah, exactly. Empire of the Sun, which is a sequel to Moon. No, um, so yeah, so Empire Strikes Back, of course, following Star Wars, uh, uh, Lucas versus Kirshner. I mean, you know, I I think maybe one of the most universally agreed upon better sequels uh, within cinema, better in terms of uh, action, better in terms of depth, better in terms of uh, rippling significance, Um, a, a almost like a better understanding of what Star Wars was uh, you know it's it strange to say had you know, a better understanding than Lucas's own creation but it's true it's, no, it's I, I, I mean that in the sense of, of like what Star Wars maybe became maybe maybe it, it's it's easy for me to say that because I look at Star Wars what Star Wars was as the original right. trilogy and you know and, and it was interesting when uh thinking about Empire Strikes Back when Last Jedi came out because when Last Jedi came out people that were defending it went and pulled up a lot of, uh, of the initial reviews of right. Empire, which sounded right. eerily similar to a lot of the complaints that people had about Last mm. Jedi, which made me almost rethink my thoughts on Last Jedi as like, well, are we really just freaking out because it's doing things differently and not what we expected? Empire Strikes Back is far and beyond incredibly different than A New Hope, um, which obviously wasn't even called A New Hope at the time. It obviously just called Star Wars. Um... So it was. It's, I almost, you know, when I like I said, when I think about what to me what the heart of Star Wars is, I think about A New Hope, Empire, and Return of the Jedi all together as one giant picture. Um, and right. and in that vision, Empire is what gets it most right. But at the time, if you think about it, if you only know Star Wars and you go in to see Empire, and it's such a completely different film, it, it takes the the entire story into a one eighty. It, I, it is interesting to see how people could have responded negatively to it. So, I mean, yeah, I, to me, it best captures what Star Wars is because I look at it from a, a giant picture. But uh, yeah, I could, you know, I, it, I, it's as easy of an answer as it, as it is. I could also see, you know, have people saying, "Well, yeah, but it's, you know," just, I, I think it proved to me that that Lucas is a great storyteller, but maybe should have handed the the prequels off to other directors. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm, yeah. Yeah, Lucas is not a great director, but it's okay to say that. George Lucas is right. not a good director. He is a good storyteller. Yeah. And, and and oddly enough, that they are the same thing, technically speaking, in regards to a director is a storyteller. But generally speaking, Lucas is not does not direct right. great movies. Yeah, I'd argue, with, I'd argue that they're up. two different things. There, there are a lot of people down on the well, streets that I think could tell a great story. doesn't mean that they can take that story and put it onto film. Agreed, but a director is a storyteller, but you also have to have that technical ability. I mean, if you look at Spielberg footage behind the scenes, that guy is in every single shot telling the cinematographer. And I'm not saying, I don't know what Lucas Lucas looks like when he's directing a movie, but there there's something to be said about Lucas as a director. He's not a great director. I think people just kind of think of him as one. And also, you know what's weird about Star Wars? Most people think George Lucas directed yeah. the original trilogy. All three of them. Most people don't even know that Irvin Kirshner did the second one. I, don't even, I honestly can't remember the name of the third guy who did Red- Jedi. Richard, who did Jedi? Um, Marquand? I don't know his Marquand? name. I want to say. Um, 
Who is he? Like, what happened? It's George to him? Lucas's pseudonym. He wants a pseudonym. All right. Here so do. my pick is a uh, is a is a situation where an iconic director handed a baton to an iconic director, and and I want to play off something that Jake said in that they each played in the same sandbox but came up with completely different films. And my choice is Aliens by James Cameron. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> yeah. Who, and I don't even know if this is an actual story or not, but I, or it might just be a legend that's been passed down from person to person. But I, his pitch, did you guys ever hear about his pitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Read the, the, the dollar sign. alien on a board, <laughs> and then he writes uh, an S after it, and then turns it into a dollar sign. And that's basically, that's what Aliens is. It's like... That sounds like something James Cameron oh, would completely, do. completely. 100%. So I, I have to believe that that is true. But in addition, like what he did was he just changed completely what you could do in that in that series. I mean, he took basically still a team of people who were facing off against a threat, but he amplified the personalities. It's so much more aggressive. It's so much more eighties action. It's it it changed Sigourney Weaver completely from the character that she played in the first one to someone who's affected by it. Um, it introduced the character of Newt, who I thought was a nice, relatable character for us to get into. And just it, it just increased the terror. It was it's it's like they're both horror films, but but one is so much more um, psychological slow burn horror that Sir Ridley does so well. And the other one is just balls to the wall, you know, summer blockbuster, um, kind of what Cameron did with True Lies and T2, you know, um, but and doesn't do anymore. And I wish he did because he was there's no one better at that type of action storytelling than Cameron was. And he's lost himself in Pandora. And I wish he'd come back because all this yeah. time that he's developing yeah. these Avatar sequels, we could have three movies no that are just, yeah, total Ugh. stripped down badass action films that Cameron used to be a master of. It's Devitt. Okay, I have, I have a it's question. actually devastating to me that he that he's just lost in because the movies that are on his me. on his really even does. when he got like um, a little bit experimental in movies like The Abyss, they were still like yeah. edge of your seat action films that he's yeah. just on. Dude, I like Titanic. I like I would defend Titanic. Titanic. I love yeah. Titanic. Amazing, so. Yeah. Okay, Sean, I have a question for you. Is it an unfair question? And I and I say this knowing that I'm pretty sure I asked it earlier yeah. this week. Considering how different the films right. are. I'd argue one's a horror film and one's an action film. Is it an unfair question to say what's better, Alien or Aliens? Yeah, because we did that. We did the discussion in the text message, and they are so it almost different. borderline argues, like, comes down to, like, well, do you want to see a horror film or do you want to see an action? Like, you're almost well, arguing. The problem of that saying point. that one is better than the other implies that one is bad. And I don't think they are. I think both of them are 10 out of 10. So I don't know what's flawed about how do you say that one 10 is better than another 10? I, I think it sort of just depends on like under what context do you like to see the sure. xenomorphs? I think I like my xenomorphs hidden, not really seen, you know, like very sort of like, you know, exposed, almost jaws like uh, singular right. one um, as opposed to xenomorphs running all over the place being shot up. Yeah. Um, I, I wish, you know, Ridley obviously took back over the franchise with Prometheus and, and Covenant. And I feel like he took, you know, like he he was at his best with the xenomorphs when he when he when when less was more, and he, you know it proved that maybe he can't really do it the way Cameron. Well, can. and one thing I like about both of those films too, or, or about Aliens, is it's the prototypical female badass action star, and and it's a yeah. that's a role that a lot of studios are chasing right now without understanding it. And Linda Hamilton and yeah. Sigourney Weaver created that mold 
in in Terminator 2, specifically in Terminator 2 and in Aliens. And I just think that um, it's because Cameron believed in those characters. He wasn't trying to like mm-hmm. tick a box of, oh, we need a female character who can hold her own in a fight. He was just like, no, these are the characters that I want to tell. And that's why they were so genuine yeah. and uh, authentic. So, I mean, Ripley was written as a man, right? And then they just cast... So, yeah. And then they cast yeah. a woman. So, Kevin, who's your pick? What's your pick for a sequel that improved no. on the original by switching directors? And, and I'd like to note for the, for the listener, Kevin got third pick. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd argue that Sean and I got the easy first yeah. two. And after those two, I'd argue it gets a little harder, it gets a little muddier. So, so I, just saying that for Kevin's sake. No, I will say in my mind, I'm sorry, I, I, it was kind of my mind was kind of like drifting for a second, uh, Pacific Rim <laughs> style, because of the idea of Cameron being lost in Mandora. What, uh, I, Sean, mm. you said that I think um, it is devastating, like to me to think that, like I mean, like the guy who made Terminator Two, True Lies, The Abyss, mm. Titanic, Aliens, some of the greatest yeah. movies of all time, is just stuck on this Avatar thing, which. And I get, I get it. Business wise, it made two billion dollars, but it's like, come but on, I, it's, man! It's, it's like the biggest movie that no one talks yeah. about. Like, how does the no highest grossing about film of all yeah. time have no impact on pop culture? No one quotes it. It's not referenced in other films. I mean, like after Titanic, you could not find you could not find a street corner or a boat where some just just douchebag was was saying, "Hey guys, look, look, I'm the king of the world." I mean, who's who, who's saying anything about like, "Hey, like you want my tail?" Like no one's saying anything about Pandora. It's, it, it has no <laughs> presence in our pop culture psyche at the moment. I think he he lucked out because he made technological advances that hadn't been done yet. If I were him, I take my money and run and make your dream project, man. Like part of yeah. me almost wishes that Pandora that Pandora that that, that Avatar 2 would bomb. Just so we wouldn't get Avatar three, four, and five, and that he could move on. To okay, but I'll say this. Wait, let me say this. I, uh, if there's any filmmaker out there who I tr- who I still do trust to change the game, you know, with a movie that he spent this much time developing, I do believe that Cameron can come back with Avatar two, mm-hmm. and it'll be something where we're like, no. oh my god, all right, all right, you know what? But has the hasn't the three D like train left the station by now? I mean, like it, the, so much was riding on Avatar yeah. being in the midst of this 3D surgence. And I feel like it's, I mean, it's, Cameron dreamed of, unless he can realize his dream, which he's always said that his dream was 3D without glasses. Right. Unless Avatar 2, Avatar 2, Avatar 2, Avatar 2 comes out. And, and then, and, and he did Avatar. in fact find a way to do 3D without glasses. And then that makes it an event again. Uh, unless he does that, it's no longer an event. It's you know what's funny? Scene. He cast Kate Winslet in Avatar 2, and it's like a reunion. It's like, oh, it's Titanic. But you know how he would get me excited about that? Cash Schwarzenegger. Put Schwarzenegger in Avatar 2. Yes! And then I'm on board. Yes. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed uh, James Cameron for Avatar, and it was like a radio interview. And I, and I was just starting out at the time, and I was That's like... That's how long so, ago uh, that Terminator was. Terminator 2 is my... my yeah, Terminator 2 is my favorite movie of all time. And I remember, like, being this... I, I, and I felt so dumb asking this question, but I was, I was asking him, like, how he shot the scene in Terminator 2 when, when, uh, when the T-1000 comes out of the floor and then becomes mm. the twin cop and then puts... You know, before he puts his finger yeah. through his eye. And James Cameron was like, well, nothing was there. <laughs> and I was like... I was, yeah. he's, like he, he, he's like, I... He's like, he's like ILM, ILM yeah, just It was a tennis in. ball. But that movie was so great. It was so groundbreaking. Kevin, what's your pick? Anyways, your but pen. yeah, uh, I, I I went yeah. with Winter Soldier uh, nice. because nice. 
because the uh, and, and again that was also given in the chat chain as well um it is that that to me out of all the movies we are discussing right now, because the alien, the aliens jump, they're both great. Uh, and Jake, what was yours again? Empire, Star, Star Wars, they're both, Empire, yeah. They're still both good movies. Um, I don't particularly like Captain America: The First Avenger. I thought it was very bland. Um, I thought the effects were kind of cool and how they shrank, they shrunk down uh, Evans's character. But the jump from First Avenger to Winter Soldier is like, it's like it leaps and That's bounds. A good like, That's I, interesting. I, it yeah. is. The, jump, the most gigantic jump in quality I've, I've seen in a franchise, I think. I'll, I'll have to think back to other ones, but like, I mean, Batman Begins the Dark Knight, both great movies. Godfather 1 and Godfather mm-hmm. 2, both great movies. Um, so the jump in, those, in that film is just beyond belief. I mean, what the Russos brought to the table, which is why the Russos will always have my anticipation. I mean, yeah. the Infinity War is going to be insane, and I'm excited about that. Because those guys are behind the camera, it, so um, that's that's. It's just so it's just rare, and it should happen more often than not. But it's rare when a new voice comes in and makes a, a franchise more exciting. But you'd think that that a fresh voice would always sort of change it up and improve, but that's rarely the case. The Rock's made an entire I, I, career I, of that. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> I would. I wish JJ stayed on for the whole trilogy. I do too. Of the oh, new, God, Star, so the new Star Wars. I, I, and, and I love Ryan Johnson, but I was so pumped with Force Awakens. And my wife and I were talking about this the other day. I, 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 at the end of Jedi, we mentioned this before, I don't, I don't know what I'm looking forward to now except for how right. JJ is going to fix things. In my mind, that's, that's kind of all what I'm thinking. I think, I, I feel like, can you imagine if JJ did the second one? I mean, I feel like well, we'd be a he did Star totally Trek Into Darkness also. Right Sometimes now. I think JJ's enough with one film. Mm. Hey, I love Super 8. No, yeah, he's, a, Super he's an extremely movies. gifted uh, filmmaker, but sometimes I think he puts a lot of his tricks. He did Mission Impossible 3. Wildly entertaining. Awesome But movie. maybe he, yeah. that's good that he did one and moved on. Who knows? Who knows? Hey, I'm, I'm still waiting on Super 9, dude. Super I, w- I want nine. Super 9. It's called Stranger <laughs> Things. Jake, it's on Netflix right now. You can, <laughs> oh. you can watch it right now. Am I... MI3 is probably another one of those jumps. I don't love MI1, and I thought MI2... I, I went through a big John Woo phase in, in high school, so, like, face-off... Dude, like, I saw face-off 45 Mission Possible 2 is fun. Um, Mission Possible 2 is fun, but the jump in quality... Well, if you're talking about a jump in quality in that franchise, I think the jump from 3 to 4. Brad Brad Bird is 3 incredible. to 4? Oh, yeah. yeah. 4 is my yeah. favorite. In Ghost Protocol is amazing. Jake and I were on the red carpet in New York for that. I remember, like... We just were like, everyone was excited about Tom Cruise, of course, but we were like geeking out because like Giacchino. we saw Michael Giacchino. Remember, remember like, Giacchino! we got JJ uh, Abrams, JJ. and he seemed surprised yeah. that he that anyone wanted to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, because obviously he was a producer asked- on the film, like no one, you know. And I remember we went up to him, and, and he was like, "Oh, like you guys, you guys want to interview me?" And we're like, "JJ, yes, we would like to interview you. Yes, we would. All right." Yeah, I was talking to him about that bridge stunt when Tom Cruise gets blown yeah. back into the car. That's one of the coolest stunt scenes ever uh, wow. in a movie. So, you guys want to see some good JJ directing work? Watch the pilot of Lost. Yes, I need. I need. I, I need to watch. You've Lost. got to, man. I, I, You've got to. I just feel like I feel like I missed the um, boat on so that one. Or the, the, the plane. Uh, we have to go back. <laughs> that's the sound. Of, that's the sound of my me slapping my knee for people. So again, I say this every week, but I have to keep reminding everybody, or or complimenting everybody, how happy I am with the Scorsese blend hashtag on social media, uh, bringing in some amazing answers for people when we asked what is the best Martin Scorsese film, and where the three of us are going to try to dive into it and sort of explain to you what we think is the best film. Now again. 
it's not our favorite film. And that that's what gets really complicated with some of these conversations because favorite and best are often different. And again, when we're sort of picking these out, I think, well, here's what I do. I don't know if you guys do this too. I really try to figure out the film that that defines, or, or I try to figure out the types of stories that the, that the filmmaker likes to tell um, and then try to pick the best example of that one. And that's what made Paul Thomas Anderson so difficult because I think he makes a different film almost every time that he goes out. Um, Scorsese, it's a little bit easier to define him. He sort of goes after a lot of the same themes in in not all of his films, but the majority of his films. Um, and so, Gabe, producer Gabe, tell me, is there an order that we need to go in or what's it? Can, no, it doesn't matter. All right, good. Then I'm going to go first. Uh, because, <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess, the benefit I guess of hosting you the guys show. have to guess what you think mine is. So give me your guesses really okay. fast and I'll tell you if you're right. I, I think it's Goodfellas. I think Goodfellas as well. You are both correct. <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, I, by the tone of that, I thought you were going to say we were both wrong. No. Like the way you yeah. shouted at well, us with your, yeah. your finger. Okay, so I was really torn between uh, Raging Bull and Goodfellas. Um, but I just feel, and for this reason, um, I'll, I'll talk quickly about Raging Bull and just saying, Scorsese, is his Catholicism defines all of the things that weigh on that poor man's shoulders. Like he is just a tortured soul and he explores so many themes of like guilt and responsibility in his movies and raging bull. Uh, Jake LaMotta is an incredible character. Um, and the fact that he's shot in black and white and the, the different frame ratios that he uses to, to do raging, raging bull is a freaking masterpiece. However, um, I think Goodfellas is the type of movie that Scorsese loves to direct, which is he has this fascination growing up in Little Italy um, with the mafia characters, with the with the the Italian gangster, and to make a movie like Goodfellas, which has to by definition exist in the shadow of Coppola's two Godfather films, and to yeah. I'm not going to say that best them, but to at least create something that stands shoulder to shoulder with them and tells a similar story in a different way. I mean, he immerses you in this extremely violent, um, totally unpredictable world of these short-tempered uh, Italian gangsters. And Goodfellas terrifies me in a way that few horror films do. And it's just Pesci. It's pe You never know when Pesci's going to go off. Okay, 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 yeah. okay, okay, okay. I'm funny okay. To That's you. a really good point, I'm funny Sean, to you about, about standing on the heels of Godfather. That's yeah. a really good because point. Because at that point, when, when Goodfellas came out, it wasn't that it wasn't that many years after Godfather. What it was well, like what like twenty maybe like fifteen yeah, 20. years. I mean, Godfather was, okay, but even still, like 70. 20, 20 these days. As we get older, twenty is not no, that it's much. Not. And I mean, it, but but it almost felt like the whole time that Scorsese was coming up making Taxi Driver and Mean Streets and. And that everyone was like, yeah, but you should make a gangster movie, right? And and he was probably like, I don't want to rush into doing that. He he really explored some, and then Raging Bull, of course. And then he finally came around to that story, which is just Henry Hill um, and how he be, how he got invited into the, the 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 family essentially. And it's a classic, you know, sort of rise and fall of these uh, these flawed characters. But it it does, and this is why. So I get into this on social media with a lot of people. This is why I don't like The Departed. It good. Goodfellas does to me so well all the things that Scorsese plays with his musical cues, you know, where he pulls all the the classic rock references and plays them at the perfect time. Um, his his montages, the way that he uses De Niro and Pesci. Um, so that's why I'm fired to see what he does in The Irishman. And then when he tried to do it again in The Departed, it just felt to me so. The Departed lives in the shadows of Goodfellas in the way that I think Goodfellas lives in the shadows of of 
Godfather, but Departed to me can't distance itself from Goodfellas. It's just, to me, it's always inferior. So I'm never able to see it as its own separate thing. And that's why I'm disappointed by it. But I think, so to me, for all those reasons, I think Goodfellas is Scorsese's best. And uh, I, I had, oh, it's so good. I, I popped it in and rewatched it. It is it's, so good. It's amazing. And it's an easy three hour yeah, watch. It is. But but it yeah. never, it never lags. There's never a no, segment never, of it where never. I'm like, oh, well, I can skip through this part because this isn't yeah. important. It's riveting yeah. from start to finish. Yeah. Kevin, you are on the clock, and we get to guess what, what your pick is. Oh, wait, I, don't, I, I can't go next, because mine, mine, I think, is going to be a bit controversial. Oh, so. oh God. <laughs> okay. I think, I, I think I, we I'm need to go with Jake. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait, we get to guess. We get to guess. All right, you have to guess. I, okay, uh, Jake's. I also think Jake, oh, see, I would have guessed Goodfellas also, but, but Gabe, I would have guessed Goodfellas Gabe too. Told we told us, Goodfellas is my favorite, but didn't. it's not what I think is his best. I'm going to go with Raging Bull. I will say Taxi Driver. Raging Bull. Oh, it's a good uh, choice. I mean, for, you have For to. a lot of the reasons, almost the exact opposite of the reasons that you uh, picked Goodfellas is why I picked Raging Bull. Uh, you know, for, he, he did not want to make that movie. He had to be pushed into it by De Niro. He very much, he had no interest in boxing didn't really care about who Jake LaMotta was. Yeah. Uh, De Niro was really the one that pushed it. If you get a chance, find a copy of the Raging Bull script with De Niro's notes uh, in, the, in, the, in the edges. It's absolutely brilliant. It's almost as brilliant as the actual screenplay is. Mm-hmm. You know, people that know Scorsese know that he was dealing with a lot of, of personal demons uh, in, the, in the late 70s and early mm-hmm. 80s. And so in that way, I feel like Raging Bull is the closest to like an autobiographical film that we'll ever get. Um, in a lot of ways, I think what's interesting is because he had to sort of be pushed into that, not only did sort of he discover a lot of interesting things about Jake LaMotta and what fascinated him, I think as a filmmaker, he discovered a lot of interesting things about himself. And I think a lot of aspects of from that point on of what made Scorsese great were birthed out of Raging Bull. Mm. Um, I mean, you talk, you talk about mm-hmm. you know, just the direction. Arguably, I, I, would put, I, would, I would take the Pepsi Challenge. I would put that down as... as De Niro's greatest performance. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of soul searching, a lot of personal demons exercised in that film, and not just through the character. Um, you know, Sean, you talked about how uh, you know people. You know, it, it sort of felt right for him to make Goodfellas, and in a way, that's what makes that film brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think what makes Raging Bull brilliant is that it didn't feel right, and he mm-hmm. did it anyway. And through that sort of genius was born. Genius came out of both of these films, but I, I like sort of that that self-discovery of his own personal demon. I mean, obviously, you know, people that, that are even somewhat familiar with his work know that that, that sort of discovering his, his demons through Catholicism was a massive deal. That's why he ended up making Silence, which I'm glad he got to make because he wanted to make it for years, even if I wasn't a big fan of it. Um, I, I would argue, you know, I, I you know, not that I would ever tell this, this to his face, but like Raging Bull was his Silence. Like Raging, to me, Raging Bull was... Was that 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 Catholic you know, that the Catholic but, sort of discovery of demons? You know what I like about Scorsese though is that he's never fully comfortable with it. Like even at this late age, he's yeah. still wrestling with it. He's yeah. never he doesn't come to conclusions. He's constantly exploring it. I find that to be really exciting about him. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, so funny because like almost like the, like beat for beat, the things that you said about Goodfellas, I would swap it and say those are the exact reasons that I picked Raging Bull. It's definitely well, but, Thelma. It's but, Thelma's best work as an editor, oh, also. And, and, and like I said, Goodfellas is my favorite. I mean, you say, okay, let's sit down and watch one. 
I, I say let's sit down and watch Goodfellas. But in terms of like, holy crap, where, you know, it, it, if, you were, if we're using the literal definition of the word masterpiece, which is one, just picking his one, because I think the word masterpiece gets used a lot these days, but picking someone's greatest achievement, I would say Scorsese's masterpiece is Raging Bull. Right. No, I agree. Um, we lost Kevin. We <laughs> I don't know where. Kevin. I, don't know where I, mean, I know to. he said that his his pick was controversial, <laughs> but I didn't realize it was so controversial that he was afraid to give it to us. Let's give him a second to see if he comes back around, Jake. I want to ask you this question to see uh, before he weighs back in. So we both picked, you know, films from years ago for Scorsese, yeah. but is there a movie of his somewhat recently? Because I I debated Gangs of New York, and yeah. I thought that it could get in. That's his Leo period. You know, he yeah. went through his. His De Niro period, and now he's doing Leo. Do you have a, a more recent one? Uh, I was a big fan of Hugo. Uh, I was a massive champion of Hugo. I mean, honestly, like I think Gangs of New York. I think I would probably have to agree with you. But uh, picking a different film in his modern age, uh, I just think you know, Hugo. Honestly, I I think Wolf of Wall Street. Just and, and if you just think about it in the sense of like that's a seventy plus year old man right. who directed one of the most unbelievably insanely frenetic three-hour films I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. Arguably one of uh, one of DiCaprio's best performance. I'd say his best performance is in Django. But, I mean, I, I, I was exhausted by the time I finished seeing... Uh, see, well, seeing it is exhausting. Yeah, that's why, like, it's yeah. too long for me, unfortunately. Like, yeah. it's, it goes on for so long that I have to finally wave the white flag and just be like, I can't keep up with this anymore. It's, yeah. it's overkill. But, um, but yeah, I definitely understand that point. Um, I think Kevin's out. I think the snowstorm think, sort of yeah, knocked him out. For, so. for people that, that maybe might listen to this a few days down the line or a few weeks down the line, there's a massive Nor'eastern uh, pounding New York and D.C. right now. Somehow I'm supposed to get on a flight to New York tomorrow. We'll see oh, how that. No, yeah. we'll see. Oh, we'll right. see You're how that. For quiet place. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that uh, how that pans out. Uh, I, I'm I'm hearing that. I, it sh- hopefully, it all happens today. So tomorrow is the cleanup day. So hopefully, I can still get in. Um, wait, can producer Gabe tell us what Kevin's? Wait, wait, wait. I really want to know. Guys, wait, wait. Oh, hold on. Oh, oh, hey, oh, nice. Power's back on. Woo! All right, good. All right, can you good, guys, good, good. I, uh, I, people who are listening, I, I we have a we have a snowstorm here in uh, in DC, so it, it totally knocked my power out. Apparently, so sorry about that. Can, All right, can well, you Kevin, guys... you're up. Give us your pick. Okay, uh, can you guys see me again? Yeah, yeah. Right, yes. I'm back on you're video. Back. All right, and uh, people, uh, Gabe, I'm sorry. Uh, I guess. Some of the snow here must have knocked out our power, so I apologize. Dude, you have good. an excuse. You have a massive snowstorm <laughs> pounding you right now. And, and it, I will say, it's a massive snowstorm for us. I mean, if this was like a Chicago snowstorm, this would be like a raining day for you guys. Because don't yeah, you guys get like crazy Thursday. snow? So, um, I, I mean, honestly, I feel like this the past. Not to not that we're not going to turn this into a weather podcast, but like these past few weeks, you guys have, have been, been bad much more than we have. Here well, in Chicago. well, specifically right. now, this is bad. This is really yeah. bad. All right, we get to guess Kevin's pick. Because he said controversial, so uh, I'm said, gonna guess. I'm actually worried. I'm actually worried now because of the arguments you presented about the films you did, and I think I was bad. Did on you hear it. any of my of my Raging Bull? I right? heard everything you said about Raging Bull and him fighting his demons and finding. You know, to me, that was how I felt about Jaws. When I the reason yeah. I chose Jaws is because I felt like Jaws is what made Spielberg the filmmaker he is today because of yeah. the problems he encountered in that movie. So oddly enough. Now I'm wondering if my pick is is the right one, but we'll see. Dude, I'm, really, I'm really curious. Like, what 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 intrigues me about this is that you said it would like you said it was going to cause controversy, or that it was going to make. I us know mad. what it is. I know what it is. You know what I it think is. I know what it is. Yeah. Uh, if only because I I spent a lot of time with Kevin when he saw this movie, and I know how much he adores it. 
Is it Wolf of Wall Street? My guess is Hugo. Jake? And Jake says Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. It's Hugo. Yeah. Wow. Kevin adores Hugo. He loves it. Here's He loves it. Here's why. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. Um, (laughs) Hugo, to me, is the movie that Scorsese was meant to make. And I Mm. really mean that. Uh, And when I watch, it's an interesting choice. And it's definitely not a normal Scorsese pick. Um, but it's his love letter to cinema. That's why I, I know it. you. Yeah, that's why I, I think it's his that. best movie. And I, I, I will say this: my mind is a bit on the favorite side too with this because, but I also think it's his best designed film, um, shot wise. And this is very weird, and this is goes against everything I stand for in regards to digital and and filmmaking and film filmmaking. This movie was shot digitally. It's his first digital movie. Um, right. But to me, it is the greatest idea or the greatest example of why 3D needs to be a thing if the right filmmaker and right cinematographer are behind the lens. Mm-hmm. When, when you sit there and you watch Hugo, Robert Richardson's cinematography and Scorsese's storytelling – it is, there is nothing, I've never felt depth of field like that in my life. I've never right. felt like, to me, it was, I, I felt like I could walk up to the screen and jump in to this world. Wait, let me ask you a question. How many times did you see it in a theater? I saw it th- three times in theaters. Was the 3D that good every time? That, it's, or did it, it depend on presentation? It depended on the bulb. And I remember, right. I, I'll never forget this because because if a, if a theater had a bad bulb in their projector or whatever, well, I remember Scorsese talking about this because the glass is already already darkened the experience for you. Right. Um, I, right. I actually, we, my wife and I have a 3D TV and we and we have 3D glasses and we were just watching Hugo in 3D before we did the podcast and the depth of field is amazing. Um, so on top of all that, technically speaking, uh, the 3D is incredible. The storytelling is amazing. Um, I love the journey that. Hugo goes on and then the revelation of Ben Kingsley's character being just reinventing that love of cinema and being Mm -hmm. gone for so long. And then Michael Stuhlbarg, who plays the author of the book, finding out that his favorite filmmaker of all time is alive. Mm -hmm. And then that moment when they sit down, they turn that projector on. I just that that film blew my mind. And I, and I, I know it's completely different than anything he ever did. It's a PG movie. It's nothing like anything he ever did. And it's his BFG. And yeah. But but, no, but <laughs> honestly, I think it's the movie he was meant to make. I think it is I think it's Scorsese just kind of I think Scorsese is that kid or or that author. I think he's like a lot of those characters. Um because I just think that when we oh my god, the scene when the papers are flying around the room and the three the three D in that movie to me is a leading character and I remember just kinda like being blown away by how immersed I was in what he created. That opening shot into the train station, uh the smoke, the train smoke, the the dust. On top of that, Howard Shore's score is unbelievable. It is a perfect score. Uh every performance, Sasha Baron Cohen is unbelievable in the movie ben kingsley amazing asa butterfield jude law but i mean it is again and i know it's a very different choice and it's not in line with what but but it is an an interesting one and i know that like good but if but if you're if you're in a film studies class you're probably gonna look at 
the movies you guys mentioned. The Goodfellas, The Mean Streets, The uh, Taxi Drivers, The the Raging Bulls. But it, it's funny to me because, I don't know, there's something about Hugo that spoke to me personally. So I think I think there's a lot of blending here, real blending here of... of of uh no of my of 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 my love of cinema but also watching a filmmaker lose his love of cinema and then regain it in the story and i just found that to be the most beautifully poetic when they go remember that scene when they when they i was just watching again so i remember it pretty vividly just seeing it but when they go back to michael stuhlberg's character as a kid and he visits that set that uh, Kingsley shooting on, and they have like the, the the dropping the lobsters into the into the water. I just I, and then the, just the old time projectors and like him having like the old camera that Ben Kingsley used to shoot on. And there's one movie left that out of all the movies he ever made, and like it's like this masterpiece in a tin. I don't know. To me, it was just it's a beautiful film, and I think that I th- I do think that it is his best movie because he couldn't have made it. And I remember. Jake and I interviewed him for this. I don't think he could have made this film uh, until he made it. Like it would, it would, this was not a movie he could have made as, uh, as a young filmmaker. He needed, he needed his history, his filmography to build him up to this. Uh, and- okay, I have a, I have a, do we have time for a quick story? One, one of my greatest achievements, one of my, my my favorite accomplishments in my career, is getting a one-on-one with Martin Scorsese. Yeah. But Kevin's story of getting him. It's fantastic. Do we have time for Kevin's story? Wait, I I remember. Is this sitting in the junket room just until the end of the day? Yes. We both had a similar experience. I thought you both did that. Well, we both did. Yeah, because I mean, neither but, but, of you guys were on the list. So no, here, let, let me let me I, say it because I was, I was on the list. The oh, you were okay. Yeah. So a lot of times we go to these junkets and we're told that that you're going to get all the actors for a sp- certain movie. And if it's someone like Scorsese or even Spielberg, like even Kevin with Ready Player One, didn't know whether they had Spielberg to the very end. And these guys were both, and I remember this. I was sitting in the room with them. They were told you might get Scorsese, or Kevin was told you might get Scorsese, but it might be like one question at the end of the day. I'm, and I said to you, Kevin, I said you're nuts. I would not sit here for the entire day for the possibility of maybe getting to ask him one question. I just didn't see the value in that. And uh, you did it. It was worth it. I mean, he gave me a five minute answer. So what happened with that was kind of briefly, I was at the time I booked that junket, I was still working a full time sales job, nine to five uh, at CBS radio. And I think the junket, if I remember correctly, was originally supposed to be during the week. It was like a Thursday, Friday or Wednesday, Thursday initially. And I couldn't get off, even though my boss, even though I was offered Martin Scorsese, it crushed me because I, I had I had no I had no way I, I didn't want to get fired. I couldn't move back home with my family. I, and now looking back on it now, I probably should have just said screw it and just went to the junket anyways. But I ended up getting it, so it worked out. But so I, I turned down the junket. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying that. And I turned it down, and then they moved the junket to Friday, Saturday, from what I, if I remember correctly. And so by that time, I had lost my Scorsese slot. And I, but I still wanted to do the junket because I wanted to cover a Martin Scorsese movie so badly. So I go to New York and I go to the Paramount people. I'm like, is there any way you can get back on the list? They said, no, his time is super limited. Um, just show up in the morning and we'll, you know, we'll try. And I remember the uh, showing up, it was like 10 a.m. And I didn't get him till 4 p.m. or 4, right. 3.55. Cause he had a, Cause remember, remember they cut back cause I was on the list. I was going right. to get him. And when I showed up that morning, they said, hey, he just cut back like three quarters of his time. Right. 
like your your like you were one of the people that we had to cut from the list. So right. then Kevin and mm-hmm. I began sort of said, "Well, we're gonna sit here, yeah, and, and you're almost gonna literally have to drag us from this." Uh, hospitality suite. <laughs> I think remember at a certain point we were like, well, we'd at least like to maybe see him and shake his hand. That's all yeah. I was. That, that's all. That's yeah. at the end of at the end of it. That's kind of what I thought was going to happen. I thought that my my interaction with him was going to be him leaving into the hallway, going into the uh, going into the elevator and leaving. Um, they told me I had a zero point zero zero one percent chance of getting him. <laughs> and I was like, well, which if you know Kevin McCarthy at all, you know you yeah. made a mistake just, by saying that. Yeah. Just don't in, even tell I him just that. wanted to visually see him. So I remember, yeah, yeah they they were cutting people uh, out. Jake was was one of the ones who was cut. But he still stayed because what ended up happening was as they cut more people, time started a little bit opening up. Jake went in, got him as he was originally supposed to, but because he waited, some people got cut and just left. And then so so then I was just sitting in the hospitality kind of like scoping things out. And I remember one of the ladies comes over and kind of waves her hand at me and goes, all right, you have literally one question. And I'm like. I don't care. It's fine. One question's fine. I run down the hallway. He had a hard out at four o'clock. I'll never forget this. It was like three fifty-seven or something like that, Ooh. or three fifty-five. <laughs> they threw me in the room. I asked one question. It was a five-minute and fifteen-second answer, which was like just surreal. He went through his entire career breaking down other films of his that he wished he had shot in three D. And he was like, Taxi Driver would have been cool to see De Niro in the mirror in three D and Raging Bull in three D and like Aviator in three D. I'm like then I'm like sitting there, I'm like my, my jaw, if you look at the reaction shots in that interview, I'm just my jaw is just like hitting the floor. And I'm like, right. I only have one question and I'm like, thank God he went through his whole filmography with me. Um yeah, and that was it. And it was like and and yeah, it was one of the most surreal. And then so Jake and I. Had, if you ask, yeah, if you if you ask me, top five interviews in my life, I, I Scorsese is yeah. in my top. We five. had a very yeah, it was a, a very fun... surreal day. And Jake and Jake Let's and I because Jake, Jake and I were so passionate about getting him that there was no no in our mind. And like uh, and for me, I was like, if I have a zero point one percent chance of getting him, uh, that sounds that's enough for me to wait till four. Whereas o'clock. if you guys can't tell uh, by listening to the podcast i'm the cynical one in the three of them who was like what <laughs> i gotta i gotta miss dinner no i'm gonna go i'll catch scorsese <laughs> on the next one so um the audience picks are in clear winner goodfellas yeah i figured Good, it would yeah. be yeah. it makes goodfellas sense from, which is a great great pick. blend but um other picks that came in raging bowl wolf of wall street and then the departed no one the departed. i'm surprised the three of us of the three of us that, that you two didn't pick the departed My, i, know you guys I mean i honestly it. i love the departed but I feel like The Departed is Scorsese making a movie that he thinks Scorsese should make. Yeah. No, I know. It's a great movie, The the Departed, to me, feels like you handed a premise to another filmmaker and said, try to make a Martin Scorsese movie. And it has all of his tricks, but to me, employed... It happens really early on when Nicholson's supposed to be a younger version of his character, and he comes into a bar and he's shadowed because they don't want to do, like, like aging. They don't want to de-age him. And, like, this Rolling Stones song comes up awkwardly, and it's, like, a bad cue, and I'm like, that doesn't fit. Someone's trying to pretend to be Scorsese. And the movie never... It just never comes together for me. I I, I don't like... I do want to say one thing. Uh, Going back to Scorsese real quick. Uh, You gotta watch Jake's interview with him as well, because that answer he gave about it like just like the whole scope of his family and like the emotional tie to that i mean he was like really open it was like really it's an incredible interview watch jake's interview on youtube if you can find it but like that was a pretty personal remember he got really personal 
It was nice. It I mean, was, he seems like a personal guy. Like, it was, yeah. I, I don't credit myself. I just think he seems like a person that's open. Obviously, I think he sort of put his heart on his sleeve with all of his films. Yeah, but then he um, talked about his daughter and stuff like that. Then he got like, going. Yeah. To, like he got yeah. really deep. Like it was like a really. I don't know. To me, I just never heard him open up like that before. It, to me, it was Jake it was, held him. Jake I did. Put his arms around him. Like a little, like a little baby. Close. No, but I, come here, Marty. I, and I whispered him to sleep, and I said, "You will speak to Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> you will speak to Kevin." McCarthy. All right, do you guys want to know next week's assignment? Yeah. Can we do Coen Brothers conversation. Blend? We are doing Coen Brothers. Yes. yes. Ooh, Hashtag Coen Brothers. There's such blend. a difference between favorite and best. I don't know what I'm gonna do. So start doing your research. Uh, if you're listening to us at home, we're going to debate the best Coen Ooh. Brothers movie next week. And we're going to finally get to talk in depth about um, Ready Player One because all of us will have seen it. So Jake's got to get going to his screening. So this yeah, has been Real Blend number 13. Um, you can listen to us uh, every week here. Uh, we're going to be Thursday. I think we're doing Thursday the 29th of next week because that way everybody will have been able to go see Ready Player One. Uh, you can find us online. We're at, at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Please, if you're listening to us uh, later after the fact, after the live show uh, on iTunes, you can drop a review there. You can give us a star rating. All of that stuff helps us with Apple's standings. And like I mentioned, we will be back next Thursday, March 29th. Of course, pay attention to all of our socials and we will share uh, when we're going live here on the Facebook page. And then, of course, if you guys are downloading us uh, on all different places. So we say... Sean, Sean, real quick. Uh, hashtag, though. Yes, Hashtag Cohen Bros Blend, right? C O E N B R O S Blend. Cohen yes, Bros Blend. blend. Okay. So yes. They, they, Cohen Bros Blend. Get, producer Gabe just. Producer Gabe just confirmed this. Yes, it is Cohen Bros Blend. That's actually a really hard one because That's a real, that might be the hardest. I feel like I say this every week. Um, that generally hello, might be the they've all been impossible. Spiel, no, no, <laughs> Spielberg was fun. probably the hardest one for me because, right. but uh, yeah. Oh, that's gonna be tough. I, I mean, Blood I Simple, man. Blood Simple is a freaking masterpiece. The beer shot down the bar. Oh, yeah, I know. They haven't made a bad Gabe, movie. Okay, Gabe's so, giving us the wrap. Gabe is giving us the wrap. Thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, this is Real Blend number thirteen. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks so much, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.